Welcome to Utah. I'm stoked about the show today. Uh, we've got an amazing guest. Um, I, you're going to enjoy it. You really will. I'm telling you right now. So our guest on the show today is Kevin Lyman, and he is the founder operator of the Kevin Lyman Group, which is a live production and brand strategy company. His most notable live event was uh, is the Vans Warp Tour, the longest running music festival tour in North America. It was very cool. I hope you had a chance to catch it and hopefully maybe something will come back again. He teaches at USC School of Music and is the host of my Warp Tour podcast. I'm telling you the guy's busy and he's with us today. He also launched the Fen Movement and again, I'm glad you're with us because we're going to talk about some very cool stuff. Kevin, how are you? Welcome to Utah. I'm good. How are you? Oh, just got home from school, grabbed a little dinner, jumped on with you, and then I'll be into it with some uh, capstones. We're getting close to the end of the semester, so we've got a couple meetings with some students right after I speak with you. Oh, thanks for taking time. I really appreciate it. It's good to see you. Good to hear your voice. And with everything that you're doing, uh, well, let's jump into it. Um, Vans Warp Tour ran for 25 years. I think we were on it the last four or five years. Um, how did it get started? Well, I mean, it was you know, I'd been working in the music industry about 12 years and, uh, you know, putting on shows around Los Angeles, basically as a promoter, rap, production person, was lucky enough to get to go on the, the first Lollapalooza touring festival. Oh. In cool. 1991, I was the stage manager. And then around 1995, I saw this convergence of music and sports coming along and uh, said, you know, this is my chance to step out and try something myself. Uh, went out and, you know, really started that philosophy I've kind of had in life of like, you know, philanthropy, education and music. Yeah. This gave me a platform to kind of take on the road. And I was hoping to maybe go, you know, one, <laughs> one year or two years and go get that proverbial real job you know that people tell you you need <laughs> yeah uh, you know your your parents say is that a real job you know and i, I don't know when when it finally <laughs> I love it. it finally clicked over that it was a real job and uh then we were so we were uh you know we were lucky enough to to get a great run with it you know i ended up with a great partner in vans i got to work with a ton of great people along the way and a lot of these people you know they were starting out in the business and yeah. by giving them you know they worked with me they worked in the office by giving them a chance. And now, you know, I look around the country and it's nice to see, I guess people go, what's your legacy after these years, all these years is going backstage and seeing all these people I knew running their own backstages now and running their own yep. events. And I think that's what led me fortunately. And I feel very fortunate to have got an opportunity to go teach at USC. Uh, it was right crossing over while I was kind of winding down warp and teaching and during that pandemic i'll tell you it was uh nice to have something to get up and do every day i know a lot of my friends we had about you know 92 percent unemployment in our world no. but it's, great, it's great to see everyone back working but now I'm, I'm in a lucky position where i'm getting a lot of my young students you know getting their first opportunities working events oh on. nice i know some of them are working out at coachella right now some are working mm. festivals around los angeles so that's where i'm at now kind of maybe helping that next generation get started. And then the people that work for me that are now hiring, you know, starting to hire that generation. That's cool. And what better thing to be involved in? I mean, uh, our time at the Warp Tour 
those years was was amazing. I mean, we met some great people, heard great music, and developed some friendships. And and you know, being able to work along with you and and uh, be there to to encourage people, and it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. If you think through the years, this is a kind of a loaded question, but is there one or two moments that kind of stand out to you after twenty five years? Well, I think at, I think at one point it was. Uh, it was the first day of the first year, 1995. We kind of rolled in. I mean, it was a ragtag group of people with a great idea, but we had to make it work. And someone ran up. We had brought this climbing wall with us. Now people see climbing walls. Back then, we kind of built it like a house. And, <laughs> and a young kid ran through the gates with a mohawk. So he was obviously coming to listen to some bands and, and have some fun. Yeah. And climbing wall, and he ran up and said, you know, how much? And that's really stuck with me because I'm like, huh. is that what we do is we ask right away how much? And I, and I look, well, it's free. And the, the guy who ran the wall looked at me like goes, wait, how am I getting paid this summer? It's going to be free to do my wall. So we'll figure that out. And then we put up a little thing on it, rent this space to advertise, like, you know, when you do something. Uh, yeah. no, but we, you know, I realized that it was, you know, it's about delivering value. And I, I especially think it's going to be important right now mm-hmm. um, that we're going to have to really start looking at you know, this this is, to me, I mean, there's a big, everyone wants to go back. There's so many show, great shows going on. There's shows everywhere going on. Everyone's yeah. touring. There's not a venue open. But, you know, some of these, you know, waves of inflation, you know, gas prices, people don't realize the psyche of America's economy runs on gas prices sometimes. Mm. That's what people can really understand about economy. You look at that sign driving by it every day. You know, yep. I drove by today and saw it drop 20 cents at my local gas station. Whoa. So all of a sudden, the economies get better, right? You know, in a lot of people's minds, you know. But I think, you know, we're going to – I think the value propositions in the business right now are going to be very important to the fans. Um, Mm. Ticket prices are way up. You know, there are a lot of people out trying to make up the money maybe that was lost in 2020. Um, I always say that money was gone. Unfortunately, so many people think we can go make it back. Then You know, you just got to move forward almost. Yeah. I think the, the the artists, I'm seeing some good packaging going out right now. I'm, cool. I'm, I'm excited to see that, like, uh, you know, that's going to be, but like seeing that bands like Les and Jake, Bowling for Soup, and the Aquabats all packaged together. Three bands could probably go Ooh. headline clubs or venues on their own, decided that, you know what, it makes sense to play together. We'll make a little less money each by doing this tour together. But you know what, we're going to deliver a value to the fans. Yep. Now, you know, that, I think that's something important to keep in mind, whatever you're doing. We try to do that with interns that we have that come to work with us. You know, here's the, you know, this is, you're not just going to go out and get coffee and, you know, crunch papers or something. You got a chance to help build, uh, you know, a business and use your creative genius. So um, I think people are going to look for that more and more. In a, spoiler alert here, any future plans for another Warped event? You know, I don't know if you're ever going to... Who knows? You never want to say never. To be honest, uh, I don't know if there would ever be a, a 30 or 40 city tour mounted of that size. I don't mm-hmm. know. If the economy of that tour it was tricky and, and people didn't realize that, you know, the team that I had around me, we, we subsidized that tour to millions and millions of dollars from sponsors to be able to put that on the road. Whoa. But I, never say never that something couldn't come back or be around in a different type of configuration mm. or, you know, I think that the community that was built around work for so many years. I think there's a place for that. And I've been sitting back kind of waiting to see if anyone can, can build that again. Um, you know, um, and so far, you know, little things are there, but you know, it took, you know, over 90% of the things we did on Warped Tour were never about making money. It was about uh, the community. 
And it was there, you know, I mean, I can speak from just the small part we played and experience. There was a community. And as we came here, you know, those those years in a row, I mean, it was like like almost a reunion with some people and oh, getting yeah. to know some of the bands. And of course, we we interviewed them for some other stuff we did, uh, individuals and, and uh, it just we were welcomed. And, and it was it really, truly was a community. It was it was amazing. You know, we always looked forward to it. It was, uh, and you had a great crew made us feel super welcome. And um, several people have said on the screen, you know, if warped comes back in any form, I'm there. So okay. All right. <laughs> we'll be there too. So changing gears a little bit, the drum community of which I'm part lost another member in uh, Taylor Hawkins. Yes, And the opioid crisis reared its ugly head again in a more prominent position. And, you know, it's heartbreaking, especially for Taylor's wife and three kids. And, of course, the Foo Fighter family. I mean, I've been in enough bands and you've been around enough bands. They're families. You know, it, it, it's, there's a connectedness there. This is a huge crisis that's, that's facing our country. It's ruining lives and it's claiming way too many young lives. And you and I both know there's been programs in the past. You know, I won't mention them, but uh, uh, even in times when I was doing some of the school assemblies, some of those programs would bring me in, you know, as, as part of what they were doing. But um, I love the phrase that I saw from you guys, too much preaching rather than empowering. And there's an awful lot of that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I learned that. I worked on lots of um, benefit shows and things. And, and people were coming to, you know, be entertained, basically. And even if it had, you know, but if you, if you gave the information or exposed them, and if people are having fun, and the same thing I say, the problem with schools sometimes, whether it's an unsafe situation for a student or the stresses of it, having, when you're having fun, your mind is open to learn. Yes. So, so when I teach to be, I'm trying to transfer that where the classes are as fun as engaging and the people, the students don't even realize that they're absorbing. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't sit there, I don't do multiple choice tests. They don't have to memorize. But I think it's, I, I think teaching is half entertaining as it is educating. And people don't realize, and that's the philosophy. Absolutely. And the philosophy of that in the parking lots, that, you know, we're not going to sit here and beat this idea down. And we had multiple, multiple nonprofits out there. But you know what? If you're having a great time and a great day, mind is open to maybe checking something out. And very, yeah. much, and very much like a classroom, you know, in a classroom, if you have 100%, 90% of the people are coming and they're going to have a good time and they're going to enjoy it. Then I always said would overexcel. And those people would overexcel by going and joining a nonprofit on a local area, bringing the canned food to the food drives, mm -hmm. running a blood drive in their school. And I looked at it in, in some ways that it was a very large classroom, that if 10% of the people kind of overachieved by doing something a little extra or around the community, that was an extra 50 to 60,000 kids a year doing something that they never did before they went to a concert or while they were at a concert. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, we, we saw that, you know, in the growth of nonprofits like To Write Love on Her Arms and Voice for the Innocent and some of these other, you know, and some of those things going on. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's really been important to me. And, you know, the, the opioid crisis, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, especially pretty much within the last few months. It would have been five years ago. I had the founders of Narcan sitting in our backyard and we were talking about, you know, this opioid crisis and... Mm -hmm. 
fentanyl was just kind of in the in the gray area, the dark area, and you know just kind of floating out there. That you know there was a, a little push of fentanyl, but it kind of disappeared. And now it's coming back. They told me that in five years, all the drugs in America will have fentanyl in it. Really? Yeah. They they said that, and it stuck with me. And if you look at it right now, we're almost five years to the day of when they said that. Hmm. There's fentanyl. I'm, it's it's in. Fentanyl is what's killing people off, and it's and yeah. there's a lot of things killing people off. But fentanyl, you know, you you don't get that lucky. I mean, I hate to say luxury of experimentation. You know, yeah. before if you did a drug, good chance either you could walk away from it if you chose. Yeah. And fentanyl though is killing people the first time they use a drug sometimes, and now they just I guess in Orange County I haven't even had a chance to read it. Every week it seems like at some border or somewhere they're seizing more larger and larger batches of fentanyl than in history. And they described it as a table. I'm just sitting here with a little desk. It's maybe three feet by two feet. And uh-huh. I remember them telling me that you could put a thin layer of this on that desk and it could kill Manhattan, every person in Manhattan. Whoa. And not to be like that shock fear, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, whoa. And you know, so so that's where originally the, the Fen concept came up was mm. so maybe we could use gamification to educate people about opioids. So by creating a thing and making those alliances with the bands we did, where the water parks and some of those bands would do acoustic sets and We the Kings for the fans, we thought by making it fun, you can come in and come in and be part of just educating people, you know, and letting, mm-hmm. educating them. I, I don't think, you know, I didn't run around telling people the story about the table because you don't, you know, it doesn't work to scare people. We all learn no, that. No, no. This is your brain on drugs. We grew up and there was a frying pan with two, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it didn't really scare people, but we have to educate people. And, and you know, there's some question now around campus. They're they're giving uh, test strips to be able to test your drugs, you know. Ooh. And there's some argument about what are we doing. And I go, ultimately, you're probably going to save some lives mm-hmm. because young brains are not programmed. They're they're programmed for risk, right? Right. They're, the adolescent brain, and the more and more you learn, is under under 25 you know some of us might stay at 60 that we're never quite sealed as a as an adult but (laughs) develop that and they become kind of can make more and more that's why we make so many rash decisions at a younger age Mm -hmm. and we can't process risk so that risk is going to be there and people are going to take that risk so i'm very a big advocate of giving testing kits out and Letting people, hopefully they're going to educate themselves that they may not want to do this, but, yes, you know, because the experience isn't necessarily good. But, you know, I don't, people shouldn't die the first time they try something. And now we've got this crazy methamphetamine that's hitting the streets right now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, and I, and I saw, well, it was interesting because a, a young girl came to me the, the, it, this fall in one of my classes. And, and she was like, you know. You, I can tell, you know, you can tell that kid that might have been a warp kid at some point. Yeah. Yep. Kind of, you know, we kind of, it's kind of, and I, I, I really liked her and I just met her that first day in branding class. And she goes, my, you know, I play music and my friend says, well, I should give you, she gave me a QR code for some of her music. Uh, she died of an overdose that night after her first. Oh, class. oh. And I still keep that in my bag. And, and I look at her QR code and I go, why? What happened? Yeah. Turned, yeah. out, turned out there was a bad batch of drugs going around campus. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we lost six students on campus. And, and oh. the, so 
to ignore and scare, we have to try to all work together to get through this. And yes. through education and understanding where people are in their lives that might push them to do something. And then, of course, recovery. It can't just be 30 days. Our industry always screws up. Opioids, it takes a long time. You just can't put someone in rehab for 30 days and throw them back on the road. No, no, absolutely. Well, I, I love the approach you're taking, and I mean, I totally concur. It's thinking long-term, it's equipping, it's educating, it's empowering. And so many young adults that I have a chance to be with, uh, I was at a teen summit just a couple weeks ago and talking about mental health and some of this stuff came up and, and uh, listening to them. Don't just shove something in their face. Listen, uh, engage them. And, and then empower them to, to make those changes, to make better choices. The testing, I think, is brilliant. I mean, we're going to save some lives that way. We're yeah. definitely going to see some lives saved that way. I mean, absolutely. Um, I think we've got to, you know, and, and that's the problem as we get older. We talk at people instead mm-hmm. of talking with them. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, someone goes, I, teaching, how did you become a teacher? I go, by having a discussion with my students, not talking at them. Ooh, ooh. And I think we need to, and I don't know where that, I don't know when it switches off with the majority of, of people, parents, like they were those kids, you know, we all have yes. yes. I always say, you know, when do they wake up and they can't remember what they were doing in their twenties or fifteens? You know, I, they, they, they maybe remember their great time playing football or being a cheerleader or a jock, but they don't love it all the impulsive decisions they made. You're, you're processing everything in your life for the first time. Yes. You, that's what parents should be able to do is help their kids and talk with them, not talk at them all the time. Oh, absolutely. And listen to them. You know, as you're talking with them, it's not a presentation. It's listening and so it's we, learning. Because we've been talking. Why don't we take, if there, I don't know if anyone has any questions. I, I don't use Instagram Live enough to be able to see but if anyone's asked has any questions um i'm happy to you know that's what i always tell my students i can talk about it all day but i don't know if i'm giving you what you came for or if if you would like something for me to address um maybe you can put it out there and and we can take a little bit with that because wow this this is going fast all right you guys just heard kevin questions he talks all about you talking to us okay here we go any comments on the when we were young festival Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going. That's a great lineup, actually, to be honest. I mean, look, it's timing. You know, it's timing for something like that. And I don't think it's, a, it's like the Warp Tour. I don't know what their plans are for all the other activities going on. They've put together a great lot of bands. The timing was great. you got to think about the people that were like fans of My Chemical Romance in 2005 and maybe yeah. 18 to 18 years old are in their mid to late 30s now. And coming out of this pandemic, there's a, a grab for nostalgia. We all see there's a movement. Nostalgia is very big. And by them choosing Las Vegas, people can go and have a great weekend. They're going to all have a great weekend. I thought it was strange that people thought maybe that I was involved because um, I, one thing I saw was that with the ticket price, I, I don't think I could ever have charged that. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty good ticket to get into that. But that's okay. Yeah. They, Hold out. If people buy it, it's supply and demand, you know? Yeah, no, that's the whole thing. Well, somebody just said it's basically a knockoff of the Warp Tour. So it doesn't sound like it. 
Well, no, it's, you know, it's, they just got, they grabbed a lot of great bands and, and put them all in one place. Look, and I know the people putting it on and, and Andy's a good person and, and, and it's, it's great, you know. I'll bring my van up maybe. That's what I'm going to be doing a lot this summer, traveling around the country. And I've actually contacted some of my old promoter friends and said, I'm going to be coming through your town on this day. And they say, well, what, we have a show. Do you want to come, Kevin? I go, I'd like, <laughs> to, I'd like to save that, that same spot for me where I used to park my tour bus so I can go backstage and, and whip out the barbecue and hang out with some of those old crews from the venues. So, oh, nice. One place I know I'll be stopping is uh, June at uh, Blossom Amphitheater backstage at the Miranda Lambert Show. Oh. So people are hitting me up and saying, we have a show. Where are you going to be? And you know, that itch to go on the road and, and, and travel the country, I'm just doing it in a different way. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Sure. This, and I'm working on projects. I mean, I'm busier than ever, you know, and that podcast I've been doing takes a lot of time. I'm consulting a couple people, and, uh, you know, we actually shot a, a pilot. I say, man, oh, man, bands for barbecue would be rule. Yeah, we, we actually shot a pilot on the podcast where we actually created the vibe of a war- tour barbecue in my backyard. <laughs> oh, nice. Had bands played. We had a food section. Uh, we did some charity stuff. So you just have to channel your energy in a different way. I believe in, in young people and I believe that so a lot of times and, you know, it's time for them to be given the chance because, we, you know, a lot of us have screwed up this world and yep. I, I've tried to be nice to people and, and maybe you guys will let me be the Walmart greeter of your events or something in the future. <laughs> but, uh, the Walmart greeter. <laughs> you, you I'll stand opposite you. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Do you see any questions in there? Anything else anyone people want to know? Somebody called you a, a punk rock legend. Well, you know, I, I was able, and I, and I say I was able to be around it as long as I have been, and you can be around things as long as you want to be around something if you don't take advantage of something. Mm. You can make a nice living, you can make a living within something, but you can't take advantage of a scene. And I think that's with punk oh. rock. I think people respect people like Fat Mike, who's given, created some of his own events things where bands have an opportunity to play brett girl what's epitaph records some of these people and i think it's it's one of those things where i always felt like we were putting more in than we were taking out yes i made a nice i made a living that i never probably thought i could Mm -hmm. but you know i i didn't never felt like you got you know i feel, feel like when we left town we try to leave it a little better place and maybe a little more accepting of punk rock because when we started warp tour punk rock was like you know, punk rock, the scary yeah, punk yeah. And then all of a sudden they saw that we were able to come in and we were doing good things for the community. And we were leaving the community, collecting canned food and things. And a lot of people, not many tours did that. So it was nice to feel that we opened the door because punk rock was kind of popular on the coasts, maybe, you know, yeah. in big cities. But we were able to bring this music that I thought was so important to places like Las Cruces, New Mexico and Boise, Idaho and Missoula, mm. Montana. Um, I wanted the bands that were singing to my heart when I started it, the bad religions of the world and, you know, the Pennywises. And I, I wanted more people the chance to, to hear them because we weren't being played on the radio. The music wasn't, you know, mainstream in any way, shape or form. And we just went out there and loaded up a skate and went out and brought the music to the fans. I see someone put Calgary, Alberta. Yeah, I love that racetrack we used to do up there. The racetrack was fabulous. I know they've torn a lot of these places down that we used to play. But mm. that, 
that was always an awesome show. Like we invested in an area and, and, and Canada was a, a big part of my, the, the success of Warp Tour. Uh, really? You know, yeah, we always had a, you know, we went up there in 1995 and we didn't know how to get across the border. And, and then as through the years went on, the border, the border guards knew us a little bit. They actually were fans of the music and we had some great, nice. and we had a great time. So it was, it was, Canada was a fabulous part of our journey. Uh, that's interesting because we've done a lot of uh, uh, events. We haven't recently, obviously, but up in Canada and, and developed some great friendships and, and uh, even got to know some of the border guards going across and, or the customs people or whatever. So We're exploring other ideas and, and maybe using you know, technology to help with the opioid crisis. Um, will Warptor ever come back? I see someone asking. You know, yeah. I had said earlier, I don't know, I, maybe in some sort of configuration, I just don't see it coming back as a another uh, 35, 40 city tour. It was tricky. It was constantly, uh, oh, I see Dylan's on there. Dylan talked to pass the base, jumped on. Yep. Dylan, Dylan's a good friend of mine who suffered a traumatic brain injury and we would let him come down and he would do his t-shirts. His foundation's called pass the base. And he's always out there um, trying to get artists to play his bass. He, he wanted to be a bass player and never really got to be one because oh. of the suffered but he's been a big promoter of uh, brain injury awareness we just mm. had a charity golf tournament a couple weeks ago i did a tournament that i put on each year for uh, music cares and we raised money we just sent them a check today for forty six thousand dollars that was raised at that tournament and, uh, had dylan is a, a great advocate and that's what it takes i think you know yes everyone needs to that community there was room for people you could come out there and and i think that's hopefully whoever takes it warp flag but like i said when i started warp tour that i was trying to copy Lollapalooza. and i said no i'm trying to create my own thing and that's what i'm looking for someone one of you are going to create your own thing that's going to capture the imagination of your peers and that's kind of what ended up happening it ended up making that thing go as long as it did you know i love what you're saying like going the, the thing you said a moment ago about everybody's welcome we were welcome other and it's true it's true it was there it was just a big community and and we were having fun. We were having conversation. Um, you know, I remember bands inviting me, hey, are you going to come see us? I'm going to be on at this time, you know, and I'd be right in the front in the pit, you know. And, hey, you came. Well, yeah, of course. I wanted to come. You're my friend, you know. It's, it's, I'm enjoying this. And, and there was just a, a whole different vibe that I hadn't seen before or experience, and I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really cool. Ask me about Greta Van Fleet. I know Greta Van Fleet. I know, well, the person who signed them is a good friend of mine, uh, Jason Flom. Uh, he, uh, he works with him, but I also really know Jason Flom. He was the president of Lava Records, who back hmm. in the day, uh, he's the one who first turned me on to Katy Perry. I was looking oh. for a movie once, and he goes, what about, and I go, oh my God, I needed to have her on my tour in 2008, and this is before anyone kissed a girl or anything, but, you know, Jason is very cool, and he, he runs a project called The Innocence Project about wrongfully uh, convicted people in prison. Hmm. Lucky enough to have him on my podcast as a guest recently and was able to interview three people who were wrongfully convicted. One person did 35 years in prison, 10 years on death row for Whoa. something innocent of. So... You know, it's interesting. People that people in our industry might do really well, but I'm really gravitated to and very interested in the people who also use what they can through our, our music to do good in the world and do something a little more. There's a lot of people, that, and I guess we base a lot of our success in this world on money, on how much money people have, but mm -hmm. it's what they do when they have some influence, really, because that influence 
is waning. You know, there's going to be, you know, when people have that moment, they need to grab onto it and make something happen. And hopefully that's better for society. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's well, I mean, you talk, we're really big on being the change, you know, going mad, making a difference. You've got something you can use, whatever it is, make a difference, change things. If we all come together like that and we do it individually, we're going to see things change that need to change and have this attitude of acceptance and community. And it may be a little different, obviously, than than uh, walking through the gates at, at a warp tour, but it yeah. can still happen. I think it's funny. Someone just put reminded me of the the glam bus that Katy Perry had. They had put a big photo of her, like out of a tour bus. Yeah. And promote her record and everything. And I think they learned the lesson that don't put your face on the side of the tour bus. Because as her popularity gained, and there's so many people backstage that maybe wanted to find her, all the other buses kind of blended in, but her big face on the side. Oh, yeah, it's right there. Oh, yeah. They didn't even have to come to any other bus for someone to say where Katy Perry was hanging out. (laughs) They can see it right there. Hey, somebody just asked, what was the worst behaving band? that you had at Warped? You know... <laughs> was, there, was there such a thing? Look, look the, the, the lines were pretty wide of acceptance out there. Yeah. You know, a lot of lines were accepted out there pretty wide. It's when they drifted out of those lines. It was usually when they disrespected the tour hmm. whole, or the community as a whole. Most of, you know, there was a lot of acceptance of people and things out there. You know, there was one band that disrespected the production truck one time. He peed in the back of the truck. No. That's like disrespecting everyone's band gear that had to go in the back of the truck. As, yep. So there was times that I would have to send the band away for a couple of days. Huh? And it was like, yeah, and, you know, but then there was this band. And then they, you know, this band would get on stage and bag all the sponsors. It's like I said, you don't need to bag all the sponsors. You don't have yeah. to make- say anything about them but you're sitting there and eating their food and you're drinking their products and then you stand on stage and bag on them that's like that's to me hypocritical yeah absolutely from punk rock and there was bands that would not play warp tour and i was cool with that totally respected that they just it wasn't their thing that was great but to come out there and then disrespect the community was hypocritical. So I actually pulled the ban aside and said, look, I would give you the money to go buy posters and pens and Sharpies, whatever you need, if you want to stand outside the Warp Tour and protest us. That's punk rock. Standing yeah. and bagging the people that are feeding you, that's, that's just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, no, okay. absolutely. Very hypocritical. Alien Ant Farm, you know, they just made the mistake of, you know, when I booked a band on a certain stage, that's where they would play. Uh, you know, there was no, like, my record got bigger, I need to be moved. But he felt that he needed to be put on another stage because they were selling a lot of singles with that uh, Michael Jackson cover. And he came up to me and said, I, we need to be moved to the main stage. And I said, well, who are you? you're going to have to go ask someone, you know, get off that main stage. Yeah. And I said, who would that band be? And it was pretty funny because they said H2O. H2O is a hardcore band out of New York City. I was also managing the band at the time, so I thought this was pretty funny. And I didn't have to say a word. I said, yeah, go, go. <laughs> ask him. And the kid, him guts, he walked right up to him when he was hanging out with Pennywise and, and Rancid and a bunch of other friends and said, you need to move off the main stage and let us there. I had to put him into protective custody for a moment. <laughs> People were going to – there was a little bit of street justice out there at times. To be yep. A little bit. Nothing – nothing there was street justice when people but not horrible street justice just in a sense so i put him in protective custody for a little bit and it all it all 
I love it. Having to put somebody in protective custody at warp. That's great. Yeah. Oh, somebody asked earlier, uh, what was the worst venue on tour? Probably, I'm trying to think. There was a, you could go to Florida, uh, pretty much any uh, fat, hairy venue. Uh, he was one of our promoters down there. And he would find the craziest places for us to play. He would mm-hmm. like, I've got a new venue. And it was like a racetrack where you could, there was no road into the racetrack. You had to go over, and you couldn't get the trucks over. That was one time I remember. And then it rained all day, so it turned into a swamp. And we, ended up, we had to get a truck of hay in to just make it usable. Uh, he put one down by a boat dock once that was on a on basically oyster shells. The whole venue was on oyster shells. <laughs> but I would say some of those uh, Florida shows, um, usually one-and-done shows, we do it one, one year, and, 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 and that was about it. Yeah. You know, somebody wants to know how much does it cost to take it's, your class? It, you know, it's part of a curriculum. It's part of a four year study. I teach five classes now, uh, branding, marketing, festival design management. But I do these kind of things all the time. I, I speak for free and give out free information a lot, too. You know, this allows us to kind of what was my what was your favorite band? Oh, my gosh. You know, that's that's you know, for me, it, it was at one point every time Rancid would come out. There was a band I wanted to go see. And later on, there was bands like Wallpaper, Ricky Reed's band. And, it, you know, they mm-hmm. weren't the truth. But, my gosh, they were fun. And people, I'd, I'd just go and watch and watch everyone walking by their stage, not knowing who they were, and, like, turning around and going, I have to see this band. You know, it was fun because I never really kind of judged the bands because as we went later on as with the tour, those were singing to the young people's hearts the same way those bands sang to mine that started on Warp Tour. Hmm. You know, they were singing their, you know, the same way and touching me. Oh, thank you on the ADA access. Yeah, we worked real hard at it. Made us really tricky on some of the venues. But, I mean, my staff was taught that if they saw someone in need, slap a wristband on them, help them out. Uh, they deserve to have the show. And some of our, fe- our sites were tricky, you know, by moving along the way we did. Um, and I think, you know, also it was always great to see the fans helping each other out. And yeah. the time I saw people, if, if someone was in need, someone would step up. It was maybe not, hopefully it was someone that worked for me, but if not, it was usually someone in the fans that, that did that. But, uh, Oh, nice. I love the parent drop-off tent. Yeah, that was, you know, a lot of people asked me where that came from. And that really came from when we were touring in places like Montana and Wyoming, where punk rock was scary, like literally for, you know, what scared me was a guy in a cowboy hat. But, you know, that's what everyone wore there. But it was a, you know, we, we parents wouldn't like, so I saw them all sitting along a fence one day and I go, why? They go, well, we were worried about our kids coming to the show. It's, you know, they, maybe they were relating it to something they went to, you know, maybe something they were at. And I said, well, Maybe we can create a tent. You drop your parents <laughs> off. We'll watch them while you have a good time. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to say uh, goodbye to Kevin for now so we can get back to the capstone stuff he's working on. Kevin, we'll have to do this again. This is uh, a rich conversation. Enjoyed it very, very much. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. If people want to learn more about FEND, what's the best way to do that? Well, FEND is actually kind of on hold right now, to be honest. We're trying okay. to retweaking it up right now some new plans we've got some more technology kind of things an idea it'll be coming out right now we're, we're mostly i think we need to address really this what's going on with the whole opioid or with mm-hmm. a fentanyl issue right now you know so that was yeah. a lot of fun to jump on this evening i'm going to jump out and i have to go uh have my uh, zoom calls with some students before i go to bed we'll start this all over again tomorrow i'm cooking for 55 of my graduate students on saturday at my house all the graduate- oh, whoa. Graduate. That sounds good. Oh, what are uh, you serving? 
Well, in, in true uh, backstage barbecue tradition, we're doing a nice uh, teriyaki chicken. I'm going to do some of those ribs people always enjoyed when I did I'm Warp. We're going to do some salmon on some planks, and we'll have a lot of good vegetarian food. Ooh, sounds good. So, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, this everyone. It's been, been really rich. So, guys, check out what Kevin's doing with uh, the podcast and other things, and, and uh, be aware. We'll try to let you know when Fend is back. Put the word out. And um, remember, you can make a comment, question, go to utalkradio.com, text the word Utah to 411247, and at social at Utah Radio. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. This is Utah Radio.